Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 48. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Good day to you, Dr. Woolman. And a wonderful uh, post-Happy Valentine's Day to you too, Christina. And, How are you? President's Day. You can't forget that. We had a day off. <laughs> President's Day. Yes. Happy to all our presidents. Sending blessings to everyone who decides to become president. Oh, yes. <laughs> they can take that job. <laughs> it's very important. Uh, greetings, everyone. Uh, welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your co-host along with Christina today as we search another aspect and quadrant of the healthcare galaxy looking for ways towards optimal health. Today, Christina, I, I have someone who is uh, living a very full life, I think, and epitomizes all the things that we talk about here on the show. Someone who's current, someone who's professional, someone who's a healer, someone who has a heart and soul, gives back to the community, uh, teaches uh, so many different aspects to his life. I would like to uh, not waste too much time right now, uh, and I would like to get to our discussion with our very uh, wonderful guest, Dr. Philip Woods. He's a doctor of dental surgery. He has his Master of Public Health. He works for the Department of Prisons, the Bureau of Prisons. He does work in public health. He's a teacher. He's an organizer. He's also an actor, a singer, a songwriter, an artist, and a choir teacher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How do you I know. fit that all in one person? I know. This is, a, <laughs> this is a full life. I'd like to introduce you to you and our audience, Dr. Philip Woods. Hello, Philip. Hey, Glenn. How are you? <laughs> Doing great. Hello, Philip. <laughs> Welcome to our show. Thank you for honoring us here. Hey, Christina, glad to be here. You know, I, uh, I, looking at your bio, there's so many great things that uh, I hope we get to talk about today. It's going to be very interesting. But I'd like to really do this a little bit differently today. Uh, normally, I'm the medical guide, and I tell everybody how we're going to approach today's show. We're going to talk about uh, what got you into uh, dentistry and medicine and healing and how your path has taken you in many different directions. And then we'll talk about some uh, practical things for people in terms of dentistry. And we, we might even hit one or two uh, controversial topics. But surrounded by all that, I want to bring in the artistic part of your life along with the scientific part of your life. So we're going to mix brain, left and right brain, all the way through this thing. So I think as a start... Uh, how about if you give us a few notes uh, to give us a tempo and then tell us how you got interested in uh, healing and what brought you to where you are today? I'm sitting at my piano, so if I... Um, I grew up in Burlington, North Carolina, child number four out of six born to a fourth-generation minister, Reverend and Mrs. Philip Woods. Early in school, I knew I liked the sciences and math. I also liked working with my hands. I'd learned at an early age, around five, that I could play by ear. If I heard something, 
I could figure it out, you know, find it on the piano and figure it out. And the old people said, oh, my God, he has the gift. He can play by air or by ear. And so <laughs> I enjoyed working with my hands, put it all together. And I knew I wanted to work with people to help people as it was. Uh, I'd seen all kinds of healing in, in and outside uh, of the medical office, just watching my elders the ministers in my families and the folk who visited the sick and did what they could to help others in the community. So um, I think the the biggest example uh, was my grandparents, my parents, and they all just said, you know, it's important to have faith, courage, work hard, and somehow find a life career that's devoted to service for others so when the time came i uh was still a bit torn between music you know i loved my classical you know and uh gospel and meanwhile my parents were like no you are not going to major in music you need to have a trade something to fall back on. You've been playing that piano since you were a little boy. You do not need to go to school for that. <laughs> so uh, when the time came to pick a major, I reluctantly, <laughs> and the final word came from my mom, besides, there's enough of us out there singing and dancing. <laughs> you need something respectable. So uh, I was a chemistry major. And uh, later applied to dental school and attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It was an interesting time, a great education, but an interesting time because I later learned when I entered in 1980 that the UNC Dental School probably was one of the last of the graduate schools at the University of North Carolina to admit minorities. So <laughs> entering in 1980, I was pretty surprised to find that there had been less than uh, 10 minorities at that time. 10 blacks who had graduated from the dental school. But uh, most of us made it through. And uh, early in dental school, I knew I wanted to specialize. I uh, got some supportive recommendations and was accepted into periodontics at Tufts University in Boston. And that just started a whole new chapter, uh, additional chapter in my life. Uh, after a bit of teaching at several dental schools, including the historic uh, institution of Meharry Dental School in Nashville, Tennessee, after working about 10 years in community health centers, basically uh, learning more and more about providing dental care for vulnerable or at-risk uh, communities or populations, I applied to and was accepted into a fellowship program at Harvard uh, School of Public Health. And that was about 11 years ago, and uh, I completed that program and got involved, as I'm doing right now, with some of the work with the United States Public Health Service, stationed with the Federal Bureau of Prison. And here I am today. Wow. wow. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't do that again. <laughs> well, we, I think we have it. Uh, we have it virtually. So it's there forever now. 
And I should say, Glenn, as I had mentioned before, that I am appearing today as a private citizen who happens to be a dentist and a musician and a painter and have a couple of other interests. And I'm not representing specifically the uh, federal bureaus of of prisons or the uh, United States Public Health Service. How about the world of dentistry? (laughs) Of course. I'm always going to be representing that. Okay. Uh, Excellent. Uh, That was a, a great introduction I, I think you've set the bar for our future oh good Sorry. So, either they're going to have to be extremely talented or you will have to be on with everyone <laughs> i think he's going to need to write the intro music for every show now <laughs> we can take this on the road <laughs> thing. i've never had anyone ask me to do that so thanks for that opportunity ah excellent so I do want to talk about dentistry a little bit. Um, first of all, the field of dentistry. When I was growing up, it seemed like the dentist did everything. Uh, and as I've grown up and gone through medical school and uh, lived my life, it seems like there are many, many specialists. And part of what we do uh, in this show is to talk about um, careers for kids. And I know you're interested in working with kids uh, and bringing people into the possibility of a career in oral health care. So could you just give us a few moments on some of the different branches of oral health care that people could go into, and then we'll get into you as a, a periodontist? Sure. Uh, Glenn, as you said, when we were younger, you found more uh, general practitioners or general dentists. And I think like any uh, profession or any scientific or science-based uh, medical profession, as we've gotten greater and greater amounts of new information, there have been opportunities to to have new branches to spring off where people devote their entire uh, careers to maybe a specialty or a segment of the profession. In the field, the broad field of dentistry, there are a number of uh, specialties. One is concerned with straightening the teeth, ortho, ortho, or to straighten, dansha, or tooth means the profession or the specialty that straightens teeth. And I have to say right there that the reason, the other reason that I became interested in dentistry is as a 12th grader, I got braces. And I was really fascinated by what my uh, orthodontist, Dr. Michael McKee in Burlington, did and uh, it, it made me interested in dentistry from the, the 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 process that you could take a person through and and improve you know the ability to smile to speak etc. Uh, other specialties in dentistry include endodontics or the inside of the tooth endo. They're the root canal people and they do other root canal and root canal related uh, procedures to to save teeth that otherwise might be lost. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a periodontist. We deal with the tissues around perio, the tooth, periodontist. And we're also known for the deep cleanings, the surgical and non-surgical management of gum disease. There's also ortho, I mean, oral and maxillofacial surgeons who do everything from removing impacted wisdom teeth to reconstructing faces after trauma or accidents um, and, and, and managing all kinds of birth defects and closing of clefts, et cetera. Uh, there are any number of other specialties like uh, prosthodontists. Anything, anytime you hear prosthodontists, you're talking about false uh, or prosthetics, uh, different types of ways to replace lost uh, structures or lost 
teeth. They deal with everything from crown and bridge to dentures, partials, and uh, much more uh, advanced uh, processes that follow maybe loss of body parts uh, due to facial cancers and what have you. There are all kinds of prosthodontic specialties within the broad field of prosthodontics. And those are just some of the many. And uh, for children, there's the pediatric dentist. Okay. Now, as we're seeing the baby boomers, and including those in, in our generation, getting older and older, we're seeing more uh, interest in geriatrics. So there's also a geriatric dental specialty as well. And I'm sure I've left a few out, but that gives you an idea. That's actually a, a great idea. Uh, and it also brought up so many other topics that I wanted to hopefully touch upon. But let's move into uh, dentistry a little bit. Uh, we still have to brush our teeth, right? We, <laughs> it always comes, you know, from patients, from family, at, at dinner, at Thanksgiving, you know, all the dental questions come up. Do you really have to brush or floss your teeth? And we have a little a joke in the profession and we say, well, you really don't have to brush or floss all of your teeth. That's the ones you want to keep. <laughs> What's the reason that we even need to worry about brushing? And we do it for a number, number of reasons. The main thing is we're brushing and or flossing just to remove the sticky plaque that forms on the teeth. And this is what causes some of the tooth decay and the gum diseases. Uh, and it also helps to freshen our breaths. You know, uh, floss is most helpful with cleaning between in the surfaces between the teeth where toothbrush, uh, toothbrush bristles have a, uh, a challenge in terms of reaching. And uh, there are lots of choices to consider now. There are all kinds of uh, Sonicare and motorized brushes that are also very helpful at either end of the spectrum, sometimes with really young patients or patients that are physically challenged. And some of our elderly patients find it also helpful. So we have lots, uh, lots more to choose from nowadays. I like that. Do we need to brush after every meal? It's helpful if we can brush two to three times a day. And for some people, it, it seems easiest to remember to do that after meals. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you'll, you'll find people who say, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. But I find if there is regular plaque removal occurring in terms of if it's just twice a day after you eat breakfast and before bed, those are critical times. If you can do that in a careful uh, a way, then that's a wonderful thing. We're more concerned with the quality of the brushing than the frequency of the brushing. Tell us a little about that. Well, if I were to, to recommend a way to, to best brush the teeth, I'd say there are two techniques that come to mind. One is called the bass technique, and I'd recommend it highly for uh, adult patients. We could talk about the bass, modified bass. And what happens is you take a toothbrush, place the bristles at a 45 degree angle to the long axis of the tooth. So it's not 90, but 45 degree angle. And there's like a little turtleneck collar area at the gum line for all teeth. And, and that's what the relationship between the gum and the teeth are. It's kind of like a turtleneck collar. The top of the collar can move. The, the gums move a little bit, as we can tell with air. You may not be aware of it, but if you get those bristles just between the gum and the tooth. So part of it will be part of the brush head of the bristles will be on the gum and part will be on the tooth. Little circles, and I find it easy, recommended in the modified bass technique to go from gum to tooth. 
So little circles, then swish up. And if you're on an upper tooth, there would be little circles, gum to tooth swishing down. If you're dealing with a pediatric or a child patient who might have limited manual dexterity, you might want to recommend a technique that's known as the phones, F-O-N-E-S technique. And it's just a matter of placing the toothbrush at a 90-degree angle, perpendicular to the long axis of the tooth, and just uh, some circles. And the last reminder is a lot of people do a great job of brushing that which they can see or the outside surfaces of the teeth. Remember to also get the tongue or palatal sides when you're brushing and the tops or the biting parts of the teeth. And any good job of brushing should take the brusher uh, at least two minutes. So if you want to time yourself, if you finish before two minutes, unless you have three or four teeth, that's uh, then you probably haven't done as thorough a job as you might be able to do. Well, that was really thorough. <clears throat> Quick, uh, any comments on flossing for us? How many times a day? Any technique? Uh... Well, what we found, and you don't see it so much in the literature, is you know you find those people say you must floss after each meal, or there are all kinds of cartoons with you know intense disciplinarians you know pushing the flossing. But what's again, what's more important with the flossing? I think it's that the patient or the person doing the flossing experience some kind of regular plaque removal uh, so that if, if you're going to do it once a day, maybe before bed. And if mm -hmm. you think I'm not as, it's kind of like going to the gym and I'm, I'm brushing really well, but I'm not flossing as well. I'm not recommending this, but it would not be the end of the world if you found that you only did it every other day. However, ideally, if you could do it daily or on some kind of regular basis to keep regular removal of the of the plaque, especially between the teeth, then that's that's ideal. And one thing I didn't say earlier, Glenn, uh, about brushing. Some people wonder, well, okay, my my child has teeth, but they're going to lose those teeth. So it's not, is that really important that they brush as much as it is important for adults? And the answer is, of course, yes. It's very important for the oral hygiene of the of the child, and it also minimizes the chance for the the child developing tooth decay and and uh, other kinds of infections. So yes, brushing. Um. Too. Very nice. So I have Let's, a question um, about <clears throat> about the the new electronic devices that uh, that have come out, which are wonderful. I mean, they they truly are. Um, I use I still use both. <laughs> I'm a little anal in that way. <laughs> I've seen much too many of my friends have implants and everything, and I just don't want to go there. You know, <laughs> um, but uh, like what I'm finding though for children is, you know, yes, they don't have the strength of the motor skill, um, but I find a lot of parents going straight to the electric toothbrush, which are, is wonderful. But I find when, let's just say, that's not working, well, what are you going to do? That, I mean, that child has no sense of how to use a plain, simple toothbrush. <laughs> that's a great point. I would recommend that parents start with the manual toothbrush and and you know as kids you might remember the old pepsodent and other toothpaste commercials where they put a long line of <laughs> not necessary and kids end up eating it and just swallowing it they recommend just a pea size like a green pea size a little circle of toothpaste on the brush on a manual brush i would recommend for starters and just getting and working with the the child uh to make sure that they're thorough and that they give a little attention to all 
all of the teeth and on as much as possible, the inside and outside. And uh, if you want to add the, the electric or the sonic toothbrush, that's fine also. But I think it, it, I'd recommend always starting with the manual because you do need to know what you're doing, what's being accomplished by the bristles and have some ownership on uh, what you're trying to accomplish. What they've shown in some studies is there's often, as you described, Christina, a decay such that, okay, it's a new toy. I'm having fun. It's great, great. But after a little while, the, there's a drop off in terms of uh, how frequently or how carefully the toothbrush might be used. Mm -hmm. with Thank you. Speaking of uh, children, uh, when would you suggest the first dental appointment be made? Uh, very good question. Uh, the General Academy of Dentistry recommends that uh, a child has his or her first dental visit within six months of the time when the first teeth appear, So, or at least by the one-year first birthday. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what's going to be happening that early? Well, often at that time, the dentist is able to do just an exam. The child and the mother or father are comfortable, and they get comfortable being in the setting. Uh, they don't associate it with anxiety, <clears throat> as might be the case if you wait until there's a major problem. And it's an opportunity also to better educate parents at that time. Um, I think a recent study gave some data on... Uh, maybe 16 million or a huge, huge number uh, of kids have untreated uh, decay in America. And they said large, uh, a large part of this is because a lot of parents don't know what to do. So getting the child to the dentist or, or dental uh, personnel by the first birthday is ideal to just do an exam, do a little uh, patient and parent education, and just to make sure things stay healthy. Mm. Oh, uh, excellent. I don't, I'm not sure I know anyone that's taken their kid at one. Uh, yeah. Even as anal as I am, I didn't, but I, I was already massaging my son's gums when he was a month old, <laughs> having him get used to that little thing in his mouth. And, you know, you try flossing two little teeth. It's really kind of cute. <laughs> Philip, uh, can you hit a controversial chord for a moment? I want to talk about a controversial topic. <laughs> fluorides in the toothpaste. Mm. I know mm. that if I started reading the literature today, uh, pro and con, uh, it would probably take a lifetime to read all of it. So give us, give us some of your thoughts on fluorides. Are they good? Are they bad? Do we always need them? Should we cut back? Should we have them as an adult or as a child? What, well, what's up? Excuse me, as I pick up a little data. Fluoride. Let me let me, if, let me say unequivocal, unequivocally, uh, without doubt, without confusion or anything. Fluoride is good. Um, recently, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, listed water community water fluoridation as one of the ten greatest public health uh, achievements in the 20th century. As they were looking over the top ten. And it's the most, it continues to be the most efficient way to prevent one of uh, the most common childhood diseases, namely tooth decay. And there's an estimate that about 51 million school hours are, are lost each year to uh, dental-related uh, illnesses. Fluoride 
and this is something that's important to know. A lot of people think of fluoride as something you do for kids, but it's clear and it's been shown in all kinds of evidence-based uh, science that fluoride protects both children and adults uh, against cavities. And uh, if I were to refer, I'd say for more than 65 years, we've uh, looked at the best available scientific information and, and it consistently indicates that community Water fluoridation is both safe and effective. Now, what's important in terms of cost avoidance or cost effectiveness, fluoride saves money. Uh, there's data that says the average lifetime cost per person to fluoridate a water supply is less than the cost of one dental feeling, filling. So for most cities, every $1 that's invested in water uh, community fluoridation uh, saves $38 in potential dental treatment. So I think that that's huge. And lastly, I'll say that fluoride is recommended and recognized by the American Dental Association, the United States Public Health Service, the World Health Organization, uh, the American, American Medical Association, and more than 125 other national and international uh, organizations as a beneficial uh, to communities and in very uh, effective and efficient. And lastly, I think it's about 74% of U.S. communities currently enjoy uh, community water fluoridation. And we can continue the work to increase that number. So I have a question about that. Um, okay. So it's in our water supply. Uh -huh. um, and the way it's going to benefit a child or an individual is if you drink that water, correct? Right. You find some people say, well, why don't we just go with what's in the toothpaste? When you, when you rely on non-community-based water supplies being fluorid, uh, fluoridated, you're, you're relying on regularity and frequency of, uh, of use of the toothpaste. You're, you're re relying on proper technique in making sure it goes to the right surfaces, et cetera. But in community-based systems, you have the drinking water, you have all kinds of foods that are prepared using water, mm. you have all kinds of beverages that are made using local water, et cetera. Mm. So mm -hmm. that, wow. Yeah, because as I volunteer at my son's school, I have to tell you, I, I don't know very many children that drink water. I encourage it, but, you know, between the milk and the juices that they put in the lunch boxes, and, the, you know, I, I don't see any parents except for myself sending the child to school with water. You know, it's like, how is that going to benefit our children? <laughs> I think sometimes, I don't know if I don't have kids, but I think I look at my siblings and their kids. Sometimes you'll find that, you know, with the foods that are prepared at home using water, with the some of the beverages that may be prepared using uh, mixing with local or tap water mm -hmm. uh, or what have you. That's another another route. But I like you encourage uh, water consumption, <laughs> just water as, as well, especially as we decreasing some of that soft drink and other cavity-causing ca uh, beverages. Do you think we need as much fluoride as, as we're taking in if we drink the water? Uh, do we need it in our toothpaste? Uh, or both are important or we can cut back? 
I think that the levels that have been established for community-based water systems are adequate to be uh, effective, safe, and and totally helpful. Um, I think what we found is dental patients or any, within any given family, you'll see people falling into different risk profiles. Some people, and I'm sure you know some people who go to the dentist all the time, they try to take care of the teeth and they end up getting cavities. We would call some of those high risk, high caries risk patients. And some who are watching that TV with the Doritos and the beer or coffee and they never get cavities. And so they might be a low caries risk. So in dealing with everything from low to medium to high caries risk populations. I think we don't err uh, at all by having a standard amount in toothpaste and uh, it can be beneficial and safe as I keep coming back to safe at the level set uh, for all, all groups. All right. Uh, are there any, what's it, are you familiar with the controversy or where people complain about it? Well, yes, I, and the anti-fluoridation uh, groups are quite well organized, and a lot of times they've uh, managed to suggest or allege that uh, fluoride in water supplies can cause everything from osteoporosis to Down syndrome to AIDS to uh, cardiovascular disease and slow learning. And But to date, after many, many years and decades, uh, for 65 years of studies and evidence-based uh, investigations on all these allegations, none of them have been uh, proven as sub uh, substantiated by science at all. And unfortunately, I think some of the fear, as you know, goes a long way, whether it's based in truth or not. Hit that controversial chord again. I have another question. The menace uh, D chord. Uh, root canal. <laughs> there should be a follow-up chord after saying root canal. Uh, it seems like uh, there's a lot more people getting root canal now. And, uh, of course, as soon as it becomes more obvious, then there's lots of controversy going around it with the dangers of root canal and the, and the pros and cons of root canal. Can you give us a few moments on that? Only a little. Um, I'll, I'll say that it probably stands to reason. If you think back to when we were kids or our parents were kids, there were few people getting root canals, few people getting fillings, few getting orthodontics. And uh, as we've developed more information uh, and higher dental IQs in terms of what patients know about prevention, as we've gotten as a profession uh, better at getting our messages out once we've gotten the information about how to prevent care, how to hold on to teeth, then people are undergoing more procedures like a root canal or braces or other specialty treatment to maintain their teeth. If you look at my mom's generation, my mom is only, I won't tell her age, she'll kill me later, but my mom was born in the 30s. And uh, at before 39, all of her teeth were extracted by a dentist who said, or a physician and a dentist who said, oh, you have soft teeth, you're, you're having kids, you're gonna lose them, so let's just get rid of them. So our thinking and our awareness is very different. At, at point. And as a result, you'll find some people when maybe a cavity involves the nerve of the tooth or the pulp of the tooth, uh, they'll get the recommendation that they should get a root canal 
to save the tooth and not have to lose it and have to figure out how I'm going to replace this space and maintain arch integrity as we describe it. Um, I'm not as familiar, uh, Glenn, with the controversies around it. I, I think that some people have suggested that maybe the inert material known as gutta percha that's placed inside the root, I'll describe it this way. When you, when you get a root canal, it's like the root of the tooth, say a front tooth, is shaped like an ice cream cone tip. We remove the inside of the ice cream cone, the little nerve space, smooth out the walls of that space, prepare the tooth to receive a, a type of, uh, of uh, bio uh, non-reactive plastic called gutta percha. And it, it's well tolerated. Uh, it's cemented in, into the, the tooth. And, and ideally, it should be about uh, half a millimeter from the tip of the ice cream cone. And uh, it's, there's, again, all kinds of evidence-based science that supports the safety and the effectiveness of root canals. And I don't have a lot of other information to the contrary. Let's move on. Uh, dental emergencies. Uh, I worked in emergency medicine, and the most common for us was when somebody would have a tooth knocked out, and they would call the emergency department and say, uh, my son or my daughter or my tooth was just knocked out. I want, should I bring it in? What should I put it in? Do you have any advice for anybody out there who may lose a tooth and want to bring it into the dentist? Very good question, uh, Glenn. What happens is, you know, and then it probably comes from the 50s and the 40s and the 60s when you have a lot of um, parents, be a mom or a dad who's more like the leave it to beaver parent who's like, I got to put the best face on for the dentist. So if the tooth is knocked out, let me take it and clean it off. That's the worst thing you could do. There are little fibers, periodontal fibers and, and uh, ligaments that are attached to the root surface of the tooth. You might not be able to see it. So the best thing to do if a tooth gets avulsed or knocked out is to take that tooth, put it in a plastic baggie filled with just uh, tap water or milk and transport that to the dentist. And uh, what we find is if you were to take it and scrub and clean the tooth and clean off the fibers, that often that the reconnecting in the mouth is not as successful. And in some cases, the tooth may become ankylosed or locked in. And as the child is growing, the tooth doesn't move as it normally and, uh, and, and function as it normally would. So I'll say if I remember correctly, 90 minutes is about the window of opportunity. You want to get it to some kind of a, a dental personnel within an hour and a half or so, if possible. Oh my gosh, I never knew that you could reconnect the tooth. <laughs> I've heard about the limbs, but not the teeth. And you know, uh, parents are really good at doing a lot of things, but I'd recommend getting it to a dentist because I've seen situations where the tooth was placed back in backwards. <laughs> and so that's a whole different appearance to what you're used to seeing when you look in the mouth. <laughs> and it won't function like Wow, What's, that's 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 uh, that's a new one for me. Thank you so much for that one. It's like, okay, limbs are one thing. Now the tooth, put it in a bag with uh, room temp water or some milk. Make sure the water is fluoridated. <laughs> Emergency that we see a lot in the prison setting is an abscess uh, right around the gum line. And, and invariably, I'll ask the inmate, have you had popcorn recently? And oh. if you eat popcorn, you know that little skin? It can work itself 
below the gum. And if you're not careful to floss under a brush after uh, eating the popcorn, it can continue to work itself below the gum and sets up an inflammatory response. And eventually you'll have an abscess and the tissues can wall around it and seal it in. And that's not a very pleasant thing. And we have to help uh, with debriding or cleaning out that area and uh, hopefully uh, managing it before it becomes more of a problem. So it's just another little shout out to make sure people floss and or brush after popcorn. So they're serving popcorn in the prisons? No, but there there are vending machines where you can purchase with what we call commissary. You know, like if you need anything from uh, lotion to certain snacks that you might want, popcorn is one of those. Let's talk for a moment about uh, preventive dentistry. Is there anything that you would suggest in terms of other things that we don't think about, maybe in terms of diet, exercise? Uh, does stress affect our teeth? These are things that we always look at in prevention. So is, is there anything out there aside from the brushing and flossing that you would uh, want to give to our viewers? I think in addition to the brushing and flossing, one would want to make sure he or she pays attention to any symptoms or signs that may alert the patient, uh, the particular individual that there may be a dental problem developing or and some of the signs that I would think in terms of that are easiest to notice when you're brushing if you take your toothbrush out and you notice red on it or bleeding it's not what we would call a dental emergency but it's a wake-up sign that there is gum disease developing the earliest form of gum disease we call gingivitis and a major uh, telltale sign of gingivitis is puffy gums that bleed when you brush or manipulate them. Um, gums that are starting to get red along the margin so that it looks almost like someone took a red magic marker and outlined the edge of the gums. That would be one sign I'd say to stay, stay tuned for and pay attention. And if you saw that, even if you were uncomfortable, uh, you know, set up a, an appointment for a checkup with your dentist or hygienist. And um, you mentioned stress. It's definitely been shown that sometimes under stress, there's nocturnal or sometimes around the clock grinding or what we call bruxism um, with patients where they grind their teeth or clench their teeth in relation to the, the stress. And there, in, in certain scenarios, there are all kinds of therapies that are available to manage some of this, including development of occlusal night guards or what some people call bite guards, plastics that uh, take the brunt of the grinding so that the damage goes onto the plastic and not onto the teeth. Um, another symptom that I would pay attention if I started noticing is if you found that, wow, my teeth are incredibly sensitive in certain areas that, that didn't used to be sensitive. Again, that should prompt a patient to think about, let me just have a call and make an appointment with either the local dentist, uh, the a community health center in your neighborhood if you don't have a dentist or even a, a dental school if there is one in your area. I can't say enough about the high quality of, of care and treatment and education that goes on in our nation's dental school. Nice. I want to uh, get into your field of uh, periodontal medicine. And I also want to combine that with uh, 
disease related to the teeth that can affect other parts of the body, uh, systemic disease and the teeth, such as diabetes, maybe heart disease. Any thoughts there? Sure. I'm a periodontist, and as I've said, we deal with the tissues that surround the dont or the tooth. And, and as I, I find it interesting, if you go back in history, as early as 5000 BC, there there's talk about cavities and different treatments for gums, if you look at some of the mummies and all. But our parent organization is the American Academy of Periodontology, and it estimates that three out of every four Americans are affected in some way by periodontal disease, be it the mildest form, the gingivitis I've described, or the more involved periodontal disease uh, presentation where you have destruction of underlying bone and connective tissue and gum tissues, or formation of what we call pockets or spaces between the gum. Again, going back to the turtleneck scenario or metaphor, it's a matter of a greater space developing between that collar and the neck of the tooth. So that we could get an instrument called a probe into that space between the, 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 the gum and the tooth. And within a healthy scenario, we expect that number, the measurement, it will only go in somewhere between zero and three millimeters or so. In severe gum disease, as the uh, tissues get inflamed, the connection between the gums and the tooth is disrupted and the bone starts to, de- to resorb or deteriorate, that probe can go in as far as 11 or 12. And by then, often the tooth is loose, it's lost all of its support, and, and in many cases needs to be removed. Um, as you mentioned, Glenn, with gum disease, there's increased, for, increased risk for other body problems as well. Um, before I tell you a little bit about periodontal medicine, let me just say something about what causes gum diseases. In the old days, we used to think that gum loss or gum destruction seen in periodontal diseases was a result of the bacteria found in plaque. Now uh, we know that this gum loss or destructive uh, nature of tissues found in periodontal diseases is caused by the body's inflammatory response to the bacteria found in uh, plaque. You mentioned periodontal medicine. For the last 10 to 15 years, there's been increasing interest and research in this field called periodontal medicine. Uh, The discipline of periodontal medicine answers uh, the following question. Do systemic diseases increase a patient's susceptibility to periodontal diseases? In other words, if you decrease the uh, diabetes in a patient, Uh, Do you decrease the periodontal disease in that patient? Or if you decrease the osteoporosis in a given patient, do you also decrease the periodontal disease in that patient? Now, we can flip the original question about periodontal medicine around to also uh, ask this. Is periodontal disease a risk factor for systemic diseases? In other words, would decreasing the periodontal disease in a patient also decrease the risk for heart disease or stroke or preterm low birth weight babies or osteoporosis? Well, recently, we were, we, there's been so much and there continues to be so much uh, research and investigation as it should be into what is the relationship between periodontal disease and all these medical conditions? And is the relationship causative? Or is it merely that there is an association? To date, we're seeing more of 
the reality that there's an association because it's a very challenging thing to to look at these connections because there are all kinds of other confounders that might contribute to uh, the incidence or the prevalence of other diseases. But you mentioned a recent link that's been uh, quite news and noteworthy between periodontal disease and diabetes. And I think this is the clearest one where there's more of a seesaw or what we call a bi-directional relationship. We all know that diabetes has been increasingly a significant problem in America with uh, complications of kidney disease, uh, blindness, nerve disease, heart disease, and stroke, all uh, related to uh, diabetes, as well as increased prevalence of periodontal diseases. In diabetics, we tend to see more infection and slower wound healing, and we also tend to see more periodontal disease. So in fact, we see a bidirectional relationship, as I mentioned before, between periodontal disease and diabetes, such that when you treat the periodontal disease in a diabetic patient, we tend to see that the management of the patient's diabetes also improves. And there was, there was a major research study in 1997, I think in Arizona, among Pima Indian uh, patients who had both uh, periodontal disease and diabetes. And they followed about 113 patients. And specifically, they found in the results that the hemoglobin A1C, which is a great measure of how well controlled a diabetic is, the study showed, the results showed that the hemoglobin A1C uh, decreased with treatment of the patient's periodontal disease. So this has all kinds of ramifications in terms of cost savings and preventing unnecessary uh, loss of diabetic control in uh, diabetic patients, uh, improving periodontal status, periodontal health of patients who have diabetes. So that's the main, uh, the closest relationship we've seen, and the investigations continue now. Wow. So I, I have a question about the relationship of children um, and their uh, uh, children and as they're growing, mm -hmm. um, how well they take care of their teeth. I mean, does that have any relationship to whether or not they're going to have a lot of periodontal issues when they get older? Okay, let's see if we can go back and talk about how well children take care of their teeth as children. Mm -hmm. Let's say what what we call the baby teeth or the primary teeth, mm -hmm. and how well they take care of them as adolescents and young adults who now are getting a full dentition of permanent teeth. As children, if kids aren't encouraged to take care of their baby teeth, that first set, you know, the old thinking used to be, oh, don't worry about those, just pull them. They're going to get new teeth later anyway, the real ones. We don't recommend that, and we encourage early intervention or early visits to the dentist and high uh, levels of education of parents to help the child take the best possible care of their uh, initial or primary teeth because, again, it relates to oral hygiene, it relates to tooth decay and pain. Um, when I worked in a community health center in Dorchester in the late 90s outside of Boston, I was amazed because before then I'd worked in mostly affluent communities and I never saw 
kids with major dental problems. And I'd even begun to think, oh, we've solved dental d- disease as a problem. But when I moved into the inner city and worked in some of the community health center settings in Dorchester, I was surprised to see five and six-year-olds with abscesses of baby teeth and and major distress and uh, losing school hours and all the other related complications that go with that. And if we pull those teeth haphazardly or without concern because they're going to get their other teeth later, what we found is those teeth, remaining teeth tend to drift so that spaces that are maintained by the baby teeth for perfect eruption or a proper eruption and alignment of permanent adult teeth that's lost. And so you end up with kids who end up instead of growing with teeth that are more aligned, they may end up with crooked or uh, uh, malocclusion, malocclused uh, teeth, which can complicate eating, aesthetics, self-confidence, self-esteem, etc. And you know how that can be an issue in adolescence. And as we get those adult teeth, say by 13 or 14, and they have a full mouth, full complement of adult teeth, how well they take care of them does have a bearing on if they're going to have periodontal disease later. If they go from, say, a 13-year-old who never gets a dental cleaning, never gets a checkup, not only are we at risk placing that patient at risk for dental decay, but there's a good chance that gum disease is going to start. And uh, possibly as early as 30 or 40, that uh, patient will either have lost many teeth, if not most of their teeth. And this is something that's very preventable with just a simple cleaning, and simple oral home care on the patient's back. Well, thank you. Uh, and what about the, the individuals that you say that are high risk in that category? Mm-hmm. I mean, is are they in high risk? I mean, is there any studies that show why they're in that high risk category? Is it because of their diet? Is there because of, you know, as you say, in diabetes, it, it might run in their family or in their genes that, that cause that? We're not totally sure why some fall into low carries risk groups, moderate carries risk groups, or high carries risk groups. But we do know that dental caries or dental decay is a multifactorial um, issue. The cause of it involves at least four different players, uh, four factors. You've got to have a host with teeth, okay? Then you've got to have bacteria that's introduced into the mouth as early as 19 months or a little sooner, uh, uh, that we're not born with the bacteria that are needed to cause dental decay, but we all have them by about 19 months or so. Thirdly, we got to have some kind of a food substrate. And then lastly, we just got to have time where all of these three are in contact with the tooth surface, leading to the demineralization of the tooth. Um, if If a patient, a child is in that high caries risk group, if, if he or she has been seeing a dentist or a child dental specialist or a general dentist from early points in life, then that classification is clear. Uh, there are preventive measures in terms of fluoride applications or maybe adding a certain fluoride rinse, as I had to use when I was getting my braces in high school, to augment the brushing and the uh, the dental care that happens when at the dentist and the the, the normal home care regimen. Mm. Now, and what about um, supplements? Do you, do you have any studies on whether or not that supports the the gums and the tissue 
to hopefully circumvent some of the surgery that might need to be done? I don't have a lot of information about the uh, use of supplements uh, in terms of how much, which ones work the best, but I would recommend that I would caution against um, just Googling what should I give my child and getting advice from the internet. I'd recommend that you talk to a dental, a trained dental professional to get an idea of what might be needed. It's, it's kind of like uh, using how, how in the common public echinacea might be used if, if people think they have a cold or are going to get a cold. And without proper science, evidence-based science to say how much is enough, how much is too little, what amount should be used and based on what weight of the child, what amount is dangerous to the child. Again, that's the reason I would caution against just choosing randomly supplements. And I would say consult your dental professional to get guidance on that. Mm. I'm assuming that you would recommend the same for an adult as well. Totally, totally. Because, you know, every day there's no scarcity of recommendations that you can find on some of the websites and and conversations with friends at the gym or <laughs> and and I, I joke at work because often inmates will come in and they'll say, uh, well, the other inmates on the floor were telling me I should do this <laughs> or or, you know, I was writing my the spouse at home and they saw on this TV show and I'm glad I'm not using any names that I should do this again. If it's not evidence-based or if you can't find that it's been uh, not just an article that you find in a, in a science journal or a professional journal, but we now in the maybe the last 15 years or so, we're hearing more and more talk about making sure that treatment modalities or clinical recommendations are evidence-based. That means they've passed a high level of scrutiny, much more than just a narrative or case uh, study in a journal. It usually involves pulling, pooling all the available data on a subject. You sometimes thousands of articles and weeding out the weak articles that aren't properly set up in terms of materials and methods and many other steps. And then looking at the collective wisdom and then making that information available. That's what, that's what I'm talking about when I say evidence based. And I, there are so many more steps that I haven't uh, describe, but um, I would just caution against adding any um, supplements and other kinds of uh, aids to one's therapy without at least discussing it and getting a little bit more science-based background. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Um, the, a question did come in uh, asking about stains like coffee stains and wine stains, etc., and bleaching, whether or not that is something that should be done and is it safe <laughs> on stains on teeth uh under the hand of uh, in the hands of any dental provider uh generally can be polished away sometimes you'll have restorations of made of porcelain and other kinds that might be a little porous and may imbibe or suck up bits of the the stain and it might not be as possible to remove them um but generally stains are not the primary cause of dental of dental problems. It's an aesthetic concern, and there are lots of ways to deal with that. In terms of bleaching, I often caution some of my friends against. Um, I know you. I'm talking to you, Christina, in California and L.A., but I always caution to them against trying to get the Hollywood look because often it's very unnatural, and people approach you looking like they have headlights coming out of their mouth. And uh, and not only is it unnatural and 
again, this, this is my 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 opinion on this, but in in severely uh, bleached teeth, there can often be increased sensitivity that's a result of too much bleaching. And again, in terms of oh, you can do it at home versus going to have it done in the capable hands of a dental provider, I'd recommend again. Do it in an office setting and following the guidance of a dentist or a dental professional. Thank you for that. I know we're coming to the top of our hour, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more I want to talk about. We're speaking with Dr. Philip Woods, a doctor of dental surgery and a periodontist. He works uh, with uh, public health and the Department of Corrections and Bureau of Prisons. And I'm sure that with all of your uh, training and expertise and journey, you have a health tip that you can give to our uh, viewing audience. Uh, anything you would like to share with us today? There are just three pieces of parting advice. One I've already t tackled, and that's if if you've been away from the dentist a long time, for whatever reason, if you're just afraid, if you notice that there's a problem like bleeding gums or sensitive teeth, and or you have a question about that tooth that you think might be in trouble, call your dentist. The advice is don't stay away. I feel like I'm a minister in church. Please don't stay away. <laughs> Come back. Come back to your, uh, find a dental home. Uh, if, if you don't want to go to the dentist, call, make an appointment with your dentist at the community health center in your area. And if there's a dental school or a dental teaching or hygiene institution in your area, call for an appointment just to get a checkup. And if you're very afraid of being at the dentist's office, let them know it's very helpful in terms of how they uh, manage your treatment. The second health tip, wash your hands. It, it's an amazing help in keeping away colds and flu bugs. And uh, there's a great uh, bit of information on the web from the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, and Prevention about how you should take about 20 seconds to do it with running water and soap. And then lastly, the only advice that's really not health, but it's total health, I think, is sing your song. Once you know what it is, and I don't mean musically, I mean life-wise, sing that song, do that work, which brings you joy. Because if you don't do it, the world, the universe will never have it. It's yours for a reason. So sing your song. That was wonderful. I'm grateful to uh, our very special guest, Dr. Philip Woods, for sharing his wisdom and expertise. Expertise? <laughs> expertise. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, with all of us. And uh, I look forward to uh, joining you with Christina next week as we search another uh, quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. So I would like to thank uh, Dr. Philip Woods and Christina and all of you for viewing. And I think as an ending today, maybe it would be a good idea to hear your song. What do you think? I, I'm glad to do. Thank you for having me. At this point in my life, I'm really happy that it seems that I'm finally connecting all the pieces, the dentist with the musician, with the artist, with the writer. And I want to do a little bit of a song. Let it be. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. 
And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. 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 Whisper words of wisdom. Let it be. And when the broken hearted people living in the world all agree, there will be an answer. Let it be. There is still a chance that they may see. There will be an answer. Let it be. Oh, let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be. There already is an answer. Let it be. Let it be. Yeah, I Thank know that you. the world just stood up and gave you a standing ovation. <laughs> Very much for this opportunity. I appreciate it, Glenn. Thank you. Uh, Many blessings. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Philip Woods. It's been such an honor to have you on our show and sharing all your expertise in so many levels, from the music to to your specialty in, in periodontist. And thank you. Thank you. Really wonderful. Thank you. And of course, we encourage you to uh, find out a little bit more, a lot more actually, about Dr. Philip Woods, the art and soul of Dr. Philip Woods. Um, his website is Philip, Philip, sorry, one Philip dash woods.com. Philip dash woods.com. And it should be on our site as well. I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this new platform of information education. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live every Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time. Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. I also uh, would like to let you know that if you'd like to contact Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can do so at myyogahub.com forward slash gwoolman. Follow him on Twitter at Glenn Woolman. And of course, through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath. Until we meet again, namaste. Namaste.